Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn Dwyer and this is episode two, The Vikings. This show looks at the arrival of one of the most fearsome and notorious groups in Irish history, the Vikings. These Scandinavian warriors have been caricatured throughout the centuries as marauding maniacs, a somewhat undeserved reputation. While future episodes will reveal that they're not all bad, in today's show we look at the first few years of their interaction with Ireland and they don't exactly cover themselves in glory. This show will reveal what drove people in Scandinavia to launch what were terrifying raids around the year 800 how these raiders eventually reached Ireland and then, before the end, we will join them for their onslaught on Irish monasteries. Our story, however, begins deep in Scandinavia, a place relatively unknown to the people of medieval Ireland. In medieval Scandinavia, that's the area encompassing modern-day Denmark, Norway, Finland and Sweden, life was tough. It's a relatively inhospitable place when compared to the rest of Europe. High mountains, a cold climate, heavy tree coverage and long, dark winters made life harsh, even at the best of times. However, despite these difficult conditions, the inhabitants persevered and became tenacious survivors, skills that equipped them to become great explorers. Indeed, in time, Scandinavians became the first people to reach Iceland and, more impressively, the first Europeans to set foot in Greenland and eventually make contact with the Americas a full 500 years before Christopher Columbus. However, that's way down the line. These amazing feats had their origins in Scandinavian interaction with Ireland way back in the 9th century. The years 700 to 800 were a time of great change in Norway and much of Scandinavia. As lands became increasingly scarce, people were forced to push further up along the fjords and valleys into lands previously uninhabited. Some aristocratic families even lost their lands, creating general tension and instability in wider society. 
In this time of diminishing opportunities, many began to look overseas. The Scandinavians had long been excellent shipbuilders and sailors, and throughout the 8th century, while land was increasingly scarce, trade with other regions of Europe increased. However, while Scandinavians might have been living in what were the northern frontiers of Europe, this trade exposed them to being impacted by events elsewhere. In the last few decades of the 8th century, a new superpower of medieval Europe had emerged. Charlemagne, the king of the Franks, who ruled over much of modern-day France and Germany, was expanding his power, forging what would become known as the Holy Roman Empire. While his armies never reached Scandinavia, they ravaged the lands of the people who the future Vikings traded with in northern Europe and increasingly blocked the Scandinavians from accessing markets. This further added to the climate of uncertainty and instability. If you lived in Scandinavia, say in the last decades of the 8th century, you would undoubtedly have felt this tension. Perhaps you had been pushed further into lands never before farmed, having to clear trees. Or maybe if you were a sailor, you might have set out to trade with towns only to find them burned by Charlemagne's armies. In short, life was increasingly difficult. In what was a somewhat inevitable move, the Scandinavians naturally began to look outwards towards Europe, where an increasingly simple solution was staring them in the face. They could simply take the wealth they had once traded for. It was certainly easier than eking out an existence at home. They knew exactly where the easiest wealth was to be found. As traders, they had no doubt heard, and indeed seen, the riches of Christian monasteries across Europe. As pagans, the religious sanctity of these monasteries was meaningless, and better still, the monasteries were inhabited by monks who were banned from fighting. This was easy pickings. It was in this context the first crews cast off, setting out on voyages to become the feared Vikings. Next, we will take a look at the first victims of these early attacks. By 780, a string of monasteries, founded by Irish monks, had been established around the coasts of not only Ireland, but also northern England and Scotland. These had become centres of knowledge, and most importantly, to the Vikings, wealth, perhaps unseen in Britain since the days of the Roman Empire. The monastery of Lindisfarne, situated in the northeastern corner of modern England, was one of the most important sites by the late 8th century. Situated in the medieval kingdom of Northumbria, it had been founded by an Irish monk, St Aidan, in the 630s. The founders had chosen an island off the coast, aptly named Holy Island, to locate the monastery. Solitude in the face of trying conditions in the north of England, exposed to the harsh winds of the North Sea, was exactly what the original monks were looking for. However, things had changed since the early days of austerity in the time of St Aidan. A monastic community had grown, not only in numbers, but also wealth and influence. By the 780s, Lindisfarne had established itself, not only on the map of England, but also the map of Europe. Among the treasures produced at the rich monastery were the Lindisfarne Gospels, a rival to the Book of Kells. The grave of the monastery's patron, St Cuthbert, attracted huge amounts of pilgrims, according to legend. His famous status was established 11 years after he died, when his tomb was opened only to find his corpse had not decayed. Well, that's what the monks were saying anyway. Nevertheless, the pilgrims to his tomb brought great wealth to the monastery. 
However, in the 790s, the great days of the monastery of Lindisfarne were about to come to an abrupt and violent end. As early as 787, an incident further down the coast, which had great significance in the coming years, had taken place. The Anglo-Saxon chronicles recorded that an attack had been carried out by three ships of Northmen from the land of robbers. Now, from the monks of Lindisfarne, who were not even in the same kingdom as where this attack took place, this probably seemed as somewhat removed, perhaps even foreign, in what was a very localised world. Furthermore, the 8th century was a violent time. People died. One more attack was hardly a life-changing event. However, six years later, in the summer of 793, everything changed. In early June that year, Scandinavian ships appeared on the horizon off Lindisfarne. Initially, this must have caused little or no panic. Lindisfarne, like other monasteries across Britain and Ireland, had long attracted traders and pilgrims. However, these ships were different. The sailors weren't traders or pilgrims, but raiders. With no warning whatsoever, Lindisfarne, which is situated almost on the shoreline, was attacked. You can just imagine how this might have begun. An unsuspecting monk goes to the shore to welcome what he might think are traders before being butchered. Showing no respect to ecclesiastical property or people, the attack was merciless. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle recalled, The harrowing inroads of heathen men made lamentable havoc in the Church of God in Holy Island by rapine and slaughter. The reference to the Church of Holy Island is actually Lindisfarne. Another account gave greater detail. On the 7th of the Eads of June, they reached the church of Lindisfarne, and there they miserably ravaged and pillaged everything. They trod on the holy things under their polluted feet. They dug up the altars and plundered all the treasures of the church. Some of the brethren they slew, some they carried off with them in chains. The greater number they stripped naked, insulted and cast out of doors, and some they drowned in the sea. To the people of the time, this raid was shocking. Now violence was by no means rare, as I said already. But this was terrifying. Someone new, unknown, had entered the fray and attacked in what was seemingly a totally random fashion. The shock for the monks themselves must have been earth-shattering. This attack on a religious site, while by no means being the first, was different. The people who had attacked were clearly pagan and had not respected the religious sanctity of Linda's farm, merely killing at random. Having no idea of who had carried out the attack, they were vulnerable and isolated in the aftermath. They were situated on an island that had just been raided by an unknown entity. These people could do this again and again, and there was no way of combating it. Alcune, a famous scholar of the day, voiced these concerns when he wrote, It was never thought that such havoc can be made from the sea. While the late summer of 793 was no doubt a time of very anxious prayer, these pleas for divine intervention would go unanswered. This raid was only the start. Within a few years, the experience of Lindisfarne would be shared by a large number of coastal monasteries. However, before we move on to look at these other attacks, I want to first delve into the stunning logistics of these Viking raids. Now, no matter what they did at Lindisfarne and the other monasteries, as you will see, getting there in the first place was an amazing achievement. For the raiders, Lindisfarne was a round trip of hundreds of miles. This is very impressive in a medieval context, given they were travelling in small open boats, no more than 20 or 30 metres long. Weeks on board these ships must have been claustrophobic in a strange sense. 
Although they were in vast open spaces of the sea, they were stuck on these tiny boats with dozens of other men. While they hugged the coastline where they could, which allowed them to camp on shore in stormy weather, they still had to venture into the open sea when crossing from Norway to Britain. This saw them move away from the comfort of the coastline for a few days. That said, the ships the Vikings used were technologically superior to anything else of the time. By 700, the Scandinavians had developed the keel and this allowed them to control their boats more easily. However, even with these advances, the maritime skills of the Vikings would be put to the ultimate test in the years after the attack on Lindisfarne when they rounded Scotland and ventured into the North Atlantic towards Ireland. Before we look at these attacks, we need to see what was happening in Ireland on the eve of the Vikings' arrival. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Recently, I had a minor argument with a close friend that brought up things from my past that I really needed to get off my chest. I think we've all been there. Now I found therapy a really great way to work through these issues. For me, I really like online therapy and BetterHelp is a really great online service that allows you to make space for therapy no matter how busy you are. BetterHelp is convenient, affordable and gives you the support you need but also works around your schedule. It's really easy to get up and running with a therapist on BetterHelp. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do your sessions by text, phone or video call, whichever suits you best. It's all about flexibility, working around your schedule. At the moment, BetterHelp are offering listeners to the show 10% off their first month. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com irishhistory Today to get ten percent off your first month. That's better help H E L P dot com slash Irish History. In the last show, we saw how Ireland was beginning to centralise around this time as several major kingdoms were beginning to emerge. By around eight hundred, the most powerful of these kingdoms was that of the extended O'Neill family. This family, and I use the term in the broadest sense possible, was split into two branches a northern branch who ruled over extensive lands in western Ulster, and a southern branch who dominated what is now northern Leinster, but in the Middle Ages was the Kingdom of Meath. All the people of the O'Neill lands, both northern and southern, owed their allegiance to a high king, a position rotated between both branches of the family. 
Everyday life in this period was intensely violent by modern standards. Based on a philosophy that might was right, there was always someone trying to be top dog and always a ruling king trying to stop them. For ruling families, warfare and violence was an integral part of life. It was a given that any ruling dynasty would lose members of their family every few years. Fathers and mothers lost sons, brothers and sisters lost siblings, children lost their parents, in what seemed like an endless cycle of violence. It was in this context that the Vikings entered the fray in Ireland, and although in the first few decades they were little more than small raiding parties, over time their intervention would prove very, very important. After the attack on Lindisfarne, it didn't take the Vikings long to hit Ireland. In 799, records at the Monastery of Iona mentioned the devastation caused to all islands off the coast of Britain by the Vikings that year. Indeed, although Iona was situated off the coast of Scotland, it was very much part of Ireland, culturally at least. It had been founded, like Lindisfarne, by an Irish monk, St Columba, in 563. Its geographical position had rendered it highly vulnerable and it was attacked only two years after Lindisfarne, in 795. In the following years, several other monasteries around the coast of Ireland were attacked. These vulnerable places included Inishmurray, Inishboffin, and a monastery on a mysterious island called Reach Ru, which is possibly modern-day Ratlin Island off the coast of Antrim. The Vikings frequently attacked the same monastery on several occasions. Inishmurray, for example, suffered twice in a ten-year period when the Vikings returned in 807. The famous monastery of Iona was completely devastated by successive attacks in 802 and 806. The attack in 806 seems to have broken the spirit of the monks and disrupted work on one of the most famous artefacts in Irish history. After the attack, the monastery went into decline and the bulk of the functions were moved to a new monastery in Kells, County Meath. There the monks almost certainly finished a treasure that had begun at Iona. Today it is referred to as the Book of Kells. It's easy to see how the ecclesiastical world was so shocked by these attacks. A monastery like Iona was integral to the religious world in Ireland. The monastery had been around in the context of Irish Christianity since the dawn of time and now the Vikings had reduced it to almost nothing in only 11 years. We get a glimpse of how the monks felt when, on a cold, wet, windy night, an Irish monk at St Gallen in Switzerland scribbled in the margin of a text as he thought of home. He wrote, There's a wicked wind tonight, wild upheaval on the sea. No fear now, the Viking hordes will terrify me. By the 820s, geographical distance could provide no safety. In 824, the Vikings attacked the remote monastery of Skelligmahil off the southwest coast. Many of you might recognise this barren rock as it was used as a set for the recent Star Wars movies. While we often just think of the Vikings attacking monasteries for gold, One forgotten aspect of the raids is that they frequently took prisoners for ransom where possible and slavery where the captive's family couldn't afford the ransom. From one early account, it seems that at the start at least, it took the Vikings a while to get the hang of ransoming people. In the text, The Life of St. Findon, we are told of the kidnap of Findon's sister. Findon then went to meet the Vikings to negotiate her ransom. However, the Vikings seem to have operated on a logic of the more the better, so they just grabbed Findon too. Eventually, after he explained that ransoming wouldn't really work if they continually grabbed the negotiator, the Vikings let him go. Incidentally, this Findon was pretty unlucky. After returning home, he was subsequently taken by other Vikings 
and brought to Scandinavia before he escaped. In other accounts we see less lucky female captives taking to Iceland. The role of Irish slaves in the early Icelandic sagas is well noted. This must have been a horrific experience, being taken on long voyages in open boats when perhaps you'd never been on the open sea before. Surviving this incredibly difficult journey, the life ahead was not very enticing. Freezing Icelandic winters and a life as a slave was all that lay ahead of you. This part of Viking raiding must have been what people feared most. The prospect of being taken to Iceland, Norway or Denmark would have been horrific. The prospect of escaping like Findon was almost zero. Despite the fact that by the 820s the fear of Viking attack was pretty widespread across Ireland, it is worth noting though that the major kingdoms of the day weren't really impacted. Obviously the religious world was severely shaken, but say a serious force like the O'Neill family I mentioned earlier were largely unaffected. Small bands of Vikings were no threat to them. In fact, they actually routed a Viking raiding party who had ventured inland in Ulster in 811. This was largely because up to the 820s, raids were carried out by relatively small groups of Vikings and their success was down to their surprise attacks and their expert seamanship. But from the perspective of the Gaelic ruling class at least, as I've mentioned, that wasn't anything to worry about. They came, they robbed, they left and they weren't trying to take land, yet at least. This would come in time, but that's for future shows. Before I finish up, I want to take a second and explain how ordinary people felt and maybe try to rationalise these attacks in the medieval world. People must have tried to explain these in the framework of at least how they understood the world. Now, people of the day didn't understand geopolitics in the way we do. They couldn't look up the internet and see that Charlemagne was attacking such and such a place and this was to blame. No, in the superstitious world of the 8th century, they would much more likely have assumed the raids were happening because God was angry. In this scenario, there was a clear answer, simply pray. However, for those who prayed in the 820s, they must have felt that God was pretty angry because everything was about to get a whole lot worse. Tune in next time when we see the Vikings arriving in fleets and decide that they like the look of the place and begin to settle down. Until then, Sloan. And don't forget to send your feedback to history at irishhistorypodcast.ie. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 